Hey, this is Scott Daniels with Culinary Coach. You're listening to Cosmic Soup. Welcome back, dining innovators, to the one and only Cosmic Soup, the senior living podcast focused on making aging better. On the last episode, we talked about dining management for the C-suite, and today's conversation picks up right where that left off, only this time we're going to discuss contracted dining service and how to effectively manage and understand them. So, of course, we brought Scott Daniels and Cynthia Thurlow back to enlighten us with their hot takes on this hot topic. Hey, Scott. Hey, Cynthia. Welcome back. It's great to be here. I love the soup. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be back. Yeah. Well, last time we had a really awesome conversation regarding dining management and the C-suite. And as we close that out, we kind of segued into another topic that we decided was going to be a great episode all on its own, Scott. And that is basically how to manage your food service contract. And this is a very complicated topic that has a lot of legs and can go in many different directions. But with your experience as a contractor and as somebody who's worked with contractors, I felt like this was going to be a great topic for you to kind of really demystify that process for us. So uh, let's just kind of get the ball rolling. Let's just say that you have decided to outsource your dining department, meaning you're, you're not going to have it internal. You're going to hire another company to take care of all of your food service needs. What do you need to understand prior to signing that contract? And probably even before answering that, what are some of the reasons somebody might decide to go that route? Sure, Mike. So, so contracted food service, uh, you know, can be controversial at times. I'm not here to say that, that contract service is good, bad, or indifferent, but there's challenges that we'll, that we'll review. So, what I find oftentimes is a community where the C-suite, and this goes back to our last podcast, where the C-suite doesn't have an understanding of the dining department, they the fear kicks in and they feel, you know, the resident satisfaction might be low, their their budget might be running very high. Um, so what do they do? They, they don't know what to do. So they reach out to a contract company. Um, they bring in Oftentimes, just one. So, so if, if they're going to bring in a contract company, it's it's good to put an RFP out and and bring in several so you can get different proposals to look at. But you've agreed to go with a contractor. They provide you with a contract to review. Now, oftentimes, these contracts are 30, 40 pages long, full of legalese, um, scary in and of themselves, and the average person can't understand the contract. You know, we're not contract lawyers. We're not you know, it's almost a different language. Um, and there's a lot of things uh, intentionally or unintentionally put in these contracts that can be misleading at times. And what happens once you sign a contract? You're stuck with it. So there's a lot of different areas that, that we can talk about with regard to, to the contract. First of all is you've got to understand the contract in front of you. And, and that doesn't mean that, that you can do that on your own. You should, you should hire or potentially have an attorney that supports your community, that, that understands contracts, that they can do a full contract review. And basically, they're breaking out the, the language and, and putting it into, into English so you can understand it. And you'd be amazed once that happens, how much more understanding you have of the information you read that you might have thought was something completely different. Yeah, man, those contracts are super intimidating. I, I, I've seen a few of them. And 
stuff gets hidden in there and whether or not it's intentional or whether or not just the person that came up with the language did not do a, a good enough job of just kind of explaining the process either way sometimes uh, companies will just run into problems and not even know what's in there they don't even know where to start they don't know how to interpret it they don't they don't know where funds are going and there's also tons of hidden stuff in there as uh, as we talked about previously right <laughs> there sure are so you know I, I think the contract written in its legal ease is both intentional and unintentional as I said before I do think sometimes it's meant to hide things uh, or or shade things in a different light I, you know I think there's a couple big things you need to look for number one is how long is the contract the term of the contract, that you're potentially going to sign? Is it one year, two year, three year, five year? You know, you need to understand that. You need to understand um, what the fee structure is and, and what it's based on. Um, you need to understand, I mean, the finances are, are the big piece of a contract because with the hidden costs that are potentially in there, you, you can be built. What a lot of individuals that sign contracts don't understand is oftentimes they build in pre-agreed upon annual increases. So you might have a, a year after year. So let's say you sign a three-year contract. There might be a year after year, 7% you know, fee increase or food cost increase. I really struggle with those because what are they based on? So I can have poor satisfaction. I could be managing your department poorly and, and I still get, you know, give you an increase of 7% on the fee. So you need to understand the language, what what everything is based on. How do you get out of your contract? There should be an out clause. We'll talk about that in a minute. So if if, if the contractor, you know, and, and sometimes the contractors will, will uh, perform amazingly, but sometimes they're not going to perform well. Um, and you need to know if that's happening, how do you navigate those waters to, to move away from the contract or have, have the contractor, you know, fix the areas that are that are broken. Hidden costs. Oftentimes there's, and I hate to say hidden costs, but they're costs that you're not aware of. They're built into that contract. So what are we talking about hidden costs? There could be bonus structures that you, you might not provide your your individuals with bonuses, but the provider might and they're built in and you don't really necessarily have any say on what the bonuses might be. So that's non-budgeted money for you. That's not something you, you've agreed upon. Other labor costs. Typically with a contract company, the managers will report to the contract company. So you might not have any say in what they pay those individuals. Again, you might pay $50,000 for that person and they might say, well, we're hiring somebody for 75. I'm not saying one price is better than the other or right or wrong, but you need to understand what that is because at the end of the day, they're all pass-through prices. So if they're paying more, they're just passing that through to, to you at the community level to pay. I like to use the word risk and reward. If you're going to sign a contract, there should be risk and reward for, for for that contractor. So if they're if they perform poorly, their fee or, or their profits are impacted. Let's talk about resident satisfaction as it talks to a contractor. Cynthia, did you want to add to that? Well, I was just you know on the subject of performance, Scott. Um, I, I have a a thought on that, which is, and it's an easy assumption to make that food contractors will have a magic bullet for my problem in my community that um, they will somehow have the ability to build a workforce easier than I can if I'm self-operated. And certainly contract, there is a, a huge place for contract dining in many, many communities. But I think there's a myth that contract dining 
is somehow different and they're going to alleviate all of my problems as a C-suite executive when in fact they really don't. I mean, they have the knowledge, they bring process and the tools, but they're going to experience exactly the same workforce issues and performance issues that I would experience as a self-operated organization. I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it's really important when you think about performance. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, really people that work with the contractors, they are employees in and of themselves, right? They belong to a company that has to perform certain roles. So yeah, the human factor, regardless of, uh, you know, self-op or contracted, you're still going to run into a lot of those same issues. That, that was a good bring up, Cynthia. Thank you. The contractors don't have what I refer to as the magic bus of employees and managers. So that, you know, it's it's kind of a, a misnomer and, and they don't directly say that they have them, but they kind of allude to the fact that they have unlimited resources, unlimited people, you know, and, and now more than ever, you look at, at the times we're in with COVID, you know, communities, both self-op and, and contracted are struggling with staffing. I mean, the contract companies don't have busloads full of employees to, to bring in to, to backfill um, vacancies or voids in staff. And at the end of the day, you're only as good as the boots on the ground. You know, the, the management team, whether it's self-op or contracted, you know, yes, all the management companies have, have great toolboxes, but if the people in place managing the communities aren't performers, aren't using the tools, it makes no difference whether there's a contractor there or not. The one thing I will tell you, if, if you do contract out a, as a community, you're not contracting to relinquish the control of your department. It's still your dining department. It's still within your building. It's not the contractor's business. It's your business that you're partnered with that contractor to manage. So even if you have a contractor, you need to be hands-on. You need to be, as we talked about in our, our previous podcast, you still need to be walking the building you know, walking through your kitchen, checking things, making sure that the performance is is suited to meet the contract that you've agreed to. Yeah. So you still have a say in your day-to-day operations. You still have that ability to have those discussions with the contractor and you should have those conversations because at the end of the day, you can't just turn them loose and say, make it awesome, right? It's got to be um, a very detailed pathway to success that should be laid out, especially if it's in a contract on exactly what steps are going to be taken. And it's up to you to make sure that those steps are in fact being taken. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's going to be times when a contractor doesn't perform and it happens and you work with that individual company and the problems aren't fixed. You need to know how to exit your contract. When I say exit your contract, you know, every contract has a cancel you need to understand what that that cancel clause is uh, and how to navigate that. Oftentimes, what will happen is a community will, will they'll let things get so bad that they get to their wits end and they just go and they fire, quote unquote, fire the contract company, which which opens up doors if they don't do it properly. You know, it could be a 30, 60, 90 day out clause. Um, it could be tied to they have the, the right within the clause to fix the problem. So documentation is critical. Um, you need to make sure you understand that out clause. And then if you do finally decide that you're going to cancel the contract and move to self-op or to another contractor, you need to put a plan in place. And and I will tell you that I frequently have seen in the past where, where a community cancels a contract either to go self-op or to another contract company, 
they don't put a plan in place, they do a knee-jerk reaction, and it ends up causing more problems for their community from a transition standpoint. So you just have to know what the clause is. You need to pre-plan and do it the right way so you can have a smooth transition. Because at the end of the day, the residents shouldn't be impacted negatively by a transition in any direction to a contractor, away from a contractor, to self-op. You know, the residents shouldn't pay the price. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, what I've seen just having been in meetings or conversations about a contract change or, you know, maybe switching over to self-op, it seems like a really, really scary thing. But it really doesn't have to be scary if it's planned ahead. And I think of um, relationships, business relationships, maybe it's because I'm a woman, but like if you have a bad boyfriend, you need to, you know, set up, set up your, your ground rules. Like when will I know I've had enough, you know, and then, and then you make a plan well in advance in how you're going to approach the transition. And it actually doesn't have to be a disaster at all. It can be quite smooth if you have enough time. Right, Scott? Absolutely. Hey, Mike, one, one area I forgot to talk about when I talk about hidden costs, if you don't mind going back, and this is a pretty big one, so I apologize, is purchasing. Purchasing is is huge. So your contract companies that you partner with, and this is any of them, they have purchasing agreements with manufacturers, distribution, um, and it's based on volume. So they're bringing, able to bring a large savings, and they'll sell it as a large savings to the community. And yes, you might get a, a, a little bit less expensive to the door food delivery, but your contract company's making an awful lot of money behind the scenes on purchasing. So, you know, and, and do they deserve that? In some cases they do because they're driving the, the volume with all their customers combined. But I would often tell you to take a look at that and work with that contractor, your provider to share that reward. So if, if they're making 15%, 16% behind the scenes on purchasing, they deserve to make some of that, but you deserve some of that savings as well. So look at look at a shared purchasing arrangement um, with your contractor to where it's a win-win versus a win-lose. So both parties win um, at the same time because what what a contractor will tell you is, hey, you know, we're getting those great prices because we're so big. But that's partially why I contracted with you is to, to reap the benefits of all the resources you have and purchasing dollars as a resource. Also worth noting, and uh, Scott, you and I have had many conversations regarding this, but if you do uh, have a contractor and you decide to go that route, one of the things you want to do is you, you know, make sure that you have some ability to have decisions in what's being purchased as well, right? Sometimes your hands get a little bit tied behind your back and you have to use certain foods or you don't have as many options. Um, is there kind of a way to work within that? Absolutely. So as we talked about a little bit earlier is, you know, just because you've contracted doesn't mean you've handed all the keys over to the contract company, carte blanche to do as they please. You need to make sure that you still have say with what they're doing. So if you're going into an, a partnership uh, with a contractor and you know there's some specifics that you want them to, to operate by, you need to be transparent with them as well up front when the deal's being drawn up to, to make sure that they're aware. So it, let's just say you only want to use fresh vegetables or you want an established farm to table program in the you know built in that should all be built into the contract don't don't take a shake of hand or or a verbal agreement and again i'm not trying to say that they wouldn't do a verbal agreement but you know what there's a reason there's a contract in place so it that protects both parties so i, I highly recommend that you don't relinquish the master key 
and, and give up ownership because you need to have involvement. Um, you know, if you want the menu to change three times a year, you should build that into the contract and, and you want 80% of the menu to change three times a year or 20% or whatever it is. But the more you can outline going into the contract uh, based on what you want out of it, you know, you're going to be more successful on, on the operator side, because let me tell you, the contract that they write is going to have everything that they want written into it. Here's my other uh, woman analogy, not to be sexist, because a lot of women do know about cars, but I, I almost <laughs> feel like when you're contracting, it might feel like you take your car to the mechanic and you think, well, the mechanic always knows they're going to tell me what I need. and I'm just going to sign it and say yes. When in reality, if you kind of come into it with like, hey, I'm I'm in the driver's seat here and I can outline what my expectation is and how I want my contract to read and then allow the, the company to respond to that versus the other way around, which is a contract company is going to tell me what I need and then I'm going to sign it. I think there's a different approach to that. Yeah, absolutely. And really what we're talking about at the end of the day is that the C-suite still has to be involved in that decision-making process. So the idea that you're just going to hire a contractor, not have to manage your dining department is not really, in fact, accurate. It still requires you to manage those that are managing your dining department um, or, you know, manage versus lead. I guess there's a whole other topic in that. But that being said, you still have to have the awareness and you still have to have you know, the, the desire and ability to have those conversations to move things forward. Yeah, absolutely. Two words, clear expectations, clear expectations. You've got to have mutual clear expectations when you're partnering with any contract company in dining or outside of dining. Could be laundry services, could be any contract services. You have to have mutually agreed upon clear documented expectations. And, and, and then periodically, schedule check-ins on those expectations. Don't just take it for granted that the expectations were, were agreed upon in writing and signed off in the contract. You need to have check and balances where you're you're mutually reviewing those expectations because let's face it, there's going to be short fails on both sides at time to time. You've got to sit at the table and then and work through those or navigate away from that contract provider. So to close this out then, Let's just say I'm at the point now and I'm really wanting to make a decision as an executive to decide, do I want to outsource my dining department or do I want to self-operate? How do I go about making that decision and what would be the main advantages versus disadvantages of each? So I, I think if you're you're at a point where you're thinking about that, the topic's just in in, in in the front of your mind. First question I would ask is why do you think you need to outsource or what's driving you to that question? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it lack of tools and resources? Is it just that you have poor or low resident satisfaction operating the way you are and you, and you think that that will, will fix? You know, don't jump at a decision. Use your resources and tools. Again, not that this is a sales pitch, but that's something that we do as culinary coaches we go into communities that are either self-op struggling or that are contracted and struggling, and we can help navigate those waters with you, not for you. You've got to be part of that solution, but we can help you, give you the tools and understanding, help you make an educated decision on the direction that you eventually will come to. Final thoughts, Cynthia? You know, no, just that, again, um, our, our vision, our hope is that our elders 
can eat delicious, healthy food every day that thrills them, whether it's delivered by a self-operated department or a contract department. We know it's possible. And um, please give us a call if you need any advice or you're interested in knowing more. Absolutely. We're, we're here to help. Scott, Cynthia, thanks again for another awesome conversation. I'm excited to share this. I think this is going to help a lot of people out. Hey, thanks. Mike. Thank you, Mike. And as always, thanks to all of you out there in the senior living cosmos for joining us in the soup. We're honored to have you here as a key ingredient in the recipe for future success. Please do us a favor by subscribing to the show on your favorite streaming platform and by following Third Plus, Third Third Marketing and Culinary Coach on all the social media platforms. And if you'd like more information on any of our topics or if you'd like some help or advice, send us an email to CosmicSoup at 3rd3rd.com. Now go reread those dining contracts and we'll talk to you soon on Cosmic Soup.